I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories every Monday and Thursday of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today, I have Sadie Alicea Balesteros. She was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. She is a wife and a mother of two young boys. In 2017, she graduated from Malcolm X College with a degree as a respiratory care practitioner. Since graduating, she's been working at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, where she has the privilege to serve people and contribute to saving lives. Welcome, Sadie, for being on the Courageous Podcast today. Hi, Madeline. Thank you for welcoming me and motivating me to do this. It will be a great honor to share my story. I'm super excited. I've known you for a very long time, probably since you were little. And I knew some of your story, but I didn't realize everything that you'd been through at, you know, in some of your teenage years. And so as we were talking about doing the podcast, you know, obviously we discovered a lot of different things. And so I'm excited that you'll be sharing your story for the first time. And I know that you're going to do amazing things through this story. And so take us back to that time where your life was changed forever. Yes, of course. I can remember it was a very cold day in the winter of 2002. I was 13 years old and my mother received a call from my father's wife at the time, informing her that my father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. The cancer had took all of one of his lungs and a quarter of the other. My father's wife at the time informed my mom this information just so that my mom can prepare my sister and I the best way that she could because the disease was further along. With all honesty, I didn't understand at the time how severe this disease was and how fast it could have taken my father's life. Through the process of chemo, I witnessed my father deteriorate right before me, and deep down inside, I did grow a lot of anger. I was angry because I was helpless to my father. My parents had been divorced before this life-changing event, and at the age of 13, I was already a really rebellious teenager. Once I started living through the life of my father battling cancer, I can admit my rebellious stage in life only got worse. So it sounds like... You were carrying around a lot of hurt and pain and I'm sure fear at at such a young age for having to deal with such a difficult diagnosis and not being able to really do anything or, or be in control. What happened in the summer of 2003? After graduating, I turned 14 in July and shortly after I did experience another tragic event. On August 4, 2003, I was in a horrible car accident. I can't recall all the events of how the accident exactly happened, but what I can remember is that I was conversating with my cousin on the phone and going eastbound on Fullerton. Per bystanders, an SUV was going westbound on Fullerton Avenue and ran what was soon to be the red light. And to avoid hitting the vehicle in front of him, he ended up swerving and hitting us head-on collision. I ended up flying out the front windshield, and I was pronounced dead on scene. CPR was performed, I was intubated, and later placed on a ventilator. Looking back at all of this, I am alive by the grace of God. Amazing. So literally at 14 years old, 
you could have died and you were put on a ventilator. I mean, that shows how critically ill you were at that time. How long did it take for you to recover from this trauma? My recovery was quite a hit on me and both of my parents. It took over a year for me to recover completely. I didn't mention previously, but in the car accident, I also broke my right femur. So I wasn't even able to walk for some time. My father was completely overwhelmed with his doctor visits and knew he couldn't even keep up with my homeschooling, my doctor visits, and my physical therapy. So my mother, who was pregnant at the time with my little sister, had agreed to take most of the responsibility of my recovery so that my father can focus on taking care of himself and battling his cancer. So during this time, I mean, you're recovering, you know, obviously it took a very long time. How was your dad doing at that time? So the progression of my father's disease took a turn for the worst. My father was getting worse by the day. His pain was unbearable. I still couldn't even grasp what was going on. Less than a year after my car accident, on March 20th, 2004, my father lost his battle against lung cancer and God called him home. I clearly remember the week before my father passing, the doctor informed us that the cancer had spread from his lungs to his hips to his spine and brain. My father had came to terms with the Lord's plan that when it was time for him to go, he asked not to be revived. Deep down inside, I didn't accept my father's decision for many years. But now when I realize it, although my father isn't living now, he was saved to live a longer life to enjoy with us as a family rather than instantly passing. And at the end of his battle, he was saved from excruciating pain. Well, I would definitely agree that your dad was a fighter. And the fact that you could see it in that way, that he stayed around a little bit longer in this fight, in this battle to create new memories and and to just spend a little more time with you. And I love that you shared that because I went through something similar and that's exactly how I saw it. Like, you know, I kept saying, thank you, Lord, that you gave us this extra time to create new memories as hard as they were. And there were good moments. And so I'm so glad that that you were able to enjoy him a little bit longer, especially, you know, still being a teenager. And so what led you to become a respiratory therapist? I decided to be a respiratory therapist because of my life being changed when I was in the car accident and my father's experience with lung cancer. Now I can say I understand many diseases out there and I can save many lives. That's awesome. I love how even through this adversity, you know, that you decided that you were going to give back, help others, but you found purpose through this difficult situation. And that's so key for people, you know, that they might be going through something and they don't understand the why and they need to look and dig deep and say, hey, maybe there is a reason this happened. Maybe I do have a, a greater, bigger purpose. And so I'm glad that you listened and that you activated that also, of course, to make your dad proud of the promise that you made to him. And so, you know, I'm so glad that you did that. What was your motivation to push through all these adversities? So like I said, I had put my parents through a lot through my teenage years. And before my father passing, he did ask me to promise him that no matter what happens in life, that I would continue my education. My mother was my role model. So she was a single mom. She earned her college degrees and she truly worked hard to support us. I knew I owed my parents a better change for me. And I 
I wanted to push forward to make them proud. And although I gave birth to my firstborn right after graduating high school, I still wanted to make them proud. God blessed me with my son at a young age, but it redirected me to move forward for my child and his future. Of course, having a child is always a motivating factor to continue to fight through because you do want to lead by example and you do want to show your kids that no matter what you go through, you can still push through, do better, be better, and not be defined by your circumstance. So why did you think it was important to share your story for the first time? And and what advice could you share with someone who's experienced something similar at a young age or even as an adult? There are many reasons why I share my story today. Um, one of my reasons can be if this message does come across a teenager, I hope they use some of my life lessons as an eye opener for them. I just, you know, I pray and I hope that all teenagers learn to enjoy their teenage life, engage with family more and dedicate towards their future. You know, I just want them to know that even though they think things are impossible, that they are possible. And always remember that a negative can always turn into a positive. Just keep pushing through with all your faith, hope, and pray. That's awesome. Well, we all need to hold on to something that's important to get us through, to push us through. And I'm so glad that you did that through two life-changing moments that could have definitely taken you down a dark past um, or a dark time in your life, but you pushed through it and you overcame those obstacles. And I'm very, very proud of you now as, as a young woman. And so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and take some time to talk about your experience with COVID-19. As we're currently living in a pandemic, you mentioned that you were a respiratory therapist at Rush University, and you're currently caring for COVID-19 patients. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what's been your experience in treating patients with this deadly virus? Treating patients with COVID-19 is a complete ambivalent experience for me. It is an ongoing roller coaster emotionally for all of us. It is becoming increasingly common to witness patients quickly deteriorate and be needing to be placed on a ventilator. What's the hardest part of caring for these patients who are fighting for their lives. It's truly heartbreaking, and I'm constantly witnessing patients getting informed by doctors that our next step is to place them on a ventilator in order to save their life. The look in their eyes and their face reactions are heartfelt and very sad. Many of them ask to hold off so that they can video chat with family members one last time before getting intubated. It is so emotional. You can sense their fear while they video chat one last time. I can only imagine how family members on the other side of the phone feel. That is so sad. That's probably one of the the most difficult things that I've had to see and hear over and over. The thought of having to lose a loved one and not being able to be there and be at their bedside and even speak to them and give them any last words or comfort you know, you had mentioned that you had never had to put so many people on ventilators at one time. And so how do you feel about needing to intubate so many critically ill patients? My last wish is to ever intubate anybody, but if it means to save someone, then that is what I advocate for. My intentions is to treat my patients the same way I expect anyone who is caring for a family member of mine. 
One of our duties as a respiratory therapist is to do assessments and blood work to see if there's improvement once we place the patients on ventilators. If that is not the case, we need to change settings on the ventilator. And I can say when I see improvement, I get a sense of relief and feel accomplished. But with these COVID-19 patients, we have learned a lot and continue to learn. One thing I have learned with these patients in general is that it's an ongoing roller coaster for them. They improve instantly with the ventilator and in a blink of an eye, they're downtrending again on me. And that means I have to constantly be going in these rooms, changing their settings, and trying to help find alternatives to make them improve with saving their life. That's amazing. So, I mean, basically you're in and out, you know, checking these patients all the time, obviously, because things are changing, you know, maybe every second or every couple of minutes or every couple of hours. And so you're constantly going in there and making sure that that they're well and that they're being well cared for, you know, not only by you, but all of these other amazing people that are there day in and day out caring for these patients. But, you know, the hard thing is that you guys are out there giving them love, giving them support, and giving them comfort. Is it difficult to tell their families that they can't visit or that they can't even stay with their family members? You know, every hospital has a no visitor policy, and I completely agree with the no visitor policy, only in the aspect to avoid further spreading of COVID-19. But it is sad for the patients and their family, too. Some of these patients that are intubated are alert. Some of them are even semi-alert and can hear when they're being talked to. So for them to not be able to see or hear family root for them is discouraging. And I can't speak for them, but it does sound depressing. These patients are alone at bedside, and it can be hard on them and family at home, too. Through this learning process, I know many nurses assigned to these patients try their best to continue the video chatting with family. But it can also be overwhelming for them to due to timing and they have to care for their other patients as well. Before, for those who have passed away, family weren't even able to see the patients at all. Now our hospital has arranged once that once the patient has passed away for at least two family members to come see them from the window of their bedroom door. And it is still heartbreaking. Witnessing family members not being able to hug their own family member for one last time or have a funeral so that the whole family can pay their respects and say their farewells, it's heartbreaking. Wow. I can tell you that that just impacted me. I can't imagine knowing that somebody from my family is fighting this thing and that that I can't be there with them, and then knowing that I can only see them from a window and hopefully, yeah, say a prayer and and let them know that they were loved and that they will be missed. And so that's a difficult job. You know, that's tough what you guys are doing every single day for so many different patients and so many different families. You know, I pray that God will continue to give you all strength on both sides, you know, all the caregivers and all the families that are going through this, you know, that you guys will continue to be safe, that you will continue to stay strong, and that people will see the seriousness of COVID-19 and how important it is to stop the spread so that no one else has to lose someone that they love in this way. And so obviously I have to revert to you and your family, you know, are you afraid of what this could do to you or your own family? Honestly, afraid can be an understatement. 
COVID-19 is a very tricky disease and one that can't be trusted. I am extra cautious at work wearing proper protective gear and constantly washing my hands, but you never know. It does make me weary and anxious from time to time, but I pray and I leave it in God's hands. It also can get overwhelming for me after working my consecutive days because I have refrained from kissing my boys when I'm leaving home or even when they're about to go to sleep. At one point, I wasn't even allowing my kids to hug me either. It was it was really heartbreaking to have my child in front of me and not being able to hug them or kiss them. So I did give in to hugging them because it was it, it was really rough for me. Mm-hmm. And it and it still makes me weary. It still makes me worry about cross-contaminating. My biggest fear is getting any of my family members sick. Before this COVID-19 peaked, I honestly made the decision to refrain from visiting family and vice versa. And mm-hmm. I can say it is depressing for all of us. I went to go visit my grandma and I only I was only able to see her from her window. And this was not too long ago. And it was hard for me. It was the worst part was she witnessed me crying and me leaving, but I mm-hmm. left her crying too. I couldn't comfort her. I couldn't hug her. You know, my my youngest, he had to experience his birthday party through video chatting. It was pretty rough for him. It was hard for him to understand, but I I can say the turnout was great. Many attended the video chat. Many gave support and expressed so much love. The ending was bittersweet. Well, this is definitely a new way of living. People are having to change and alter something so important to a child as a birthday party to how you communicate with your family. And the fact that you can't do the things that you know you normally do is difficult on everyone. All these kids that are graduating from eighth grade and high school and college, you know, these are so critical birthdays. You know, these are all critical moments in people's lives that they want to celebrate. It's sad. It's so, so sad. But I know that as they get older, they're going to see that they were part of something difficult, but hopefully this is going to impact them in a different way. And they're going to see life differently. And hopefully they're going to all go on to be great people and do great things. And so what last parting words could you share with people that are dealing with this day in and day out? You know, what advice could you give as someone that's on the front lines caring for these critical patients? As you can see, um, towards the end, it was a little rough for me and I can't, I couldn't keep it together. It is really emotional and I just want many of them out there who are helping fighting and saving lives to just stay strong, keep it together. There's a lot of hope out there. We have seen many recovering and just knowing that many are recovering, we need to hold that in our hearts so that it pushes us forward to keep moving. You know, I do wish and hope that many of people out there continue to pray Pray for essential workers that they stay protected. Some of them don't even have proper gear and have to work, have no choice. You know, I want I want many prayers for the sick and their families, the healthcare workers. You know, a lot of healthcare workers are going through a lot of emotions right now. I'm definitely praying for them and I pray that God continues to give everyone strength as they're fighting through this. I want to thank you for sharing your courageous story from 
adversity to victory and how you turn these difficult, negative, painful things into something positive. Who would have thought that, you know, you would be preparing yourself years ago to be a part of the courageous people that are out there every day saving lives through this pandemic? You know, your purpose is even greater now. And I want to take some time to just thank every single person that's out there taking care of us in every single way, whether you think you're essential or you're not essential. I don't even like that word, but every single person that has to go out to work, to provide for their family, or to take care of others during this pandemic is courageous. It's very easy to stay home and do nothing, but you're going out there and you're helping others. And and we're grateful and we're thankful that God is continuing to cover you and protect you. So Zadie, thank you so much for sharing on the Courageous Podcast today. And I know that God is going to continue to do some amazing things in you and through you. And that even if you just touch one person, that you have done God's will today. Madeline, I truly want to thank you for motivating me to do this because now that I express my victory, I just want people to know that through their hard times in life, there will always be victory. And through this COVID-19, there will also be victory. I know many are suffering right now, but just hang on. Victory's coming. I love that. What a way to end the show today. Well, thanks again. And we will see you again, hopefully in the future and talk about your post-COVID life. Take care, Zadie. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at courageouspodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.